0: Hi, I'm Dee Sterling. I'm a lover of language and languages. I'm a storyteller. I'm also a businesswoman and the co founder of Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with Dee. Over coffee, a very strong one in my case, I will get curious with my guests about their journeys in life and business and how they practice living courageous, creative, and interesting lives. David, um, welcome to my podcast Double Espresso with D. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I'd like to say a few words of introduction on you to our viewers and our um, uh, our listeners. Um, I hope you've got a strong coffee to hand because that's what this podcast is all about. Um, and so, um, everyone who's listening today, thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to have you with me and Dr. David Jack, the spectacular Dr. David Jack, on the show today. Whether you're walking in the park with your friend, having your coffee, whether you're in your car, listening or watching, I hope you enjoy this episode of Double Espresso with D with me, Dee Sterling. Our series is on Meet the Entrepreneurs. So by way of background, David, I would like to share a little bit of information on you with everyone who's joining us. So David is one of a new and exciting generation of medical doctors who have gone to the wild side. And have become pioneering health and wellness entrepreneurs. So David was born and raised in Scotland, a fellow Celt, da da da, da, da like me, yeah. um, studied medicine, anatomy, and embryology, and pursued a clinical career in um, both plastic surgery and aesthetic medicine, which took him all over the world before landing in London town, which is our city, right, David? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> so today, David runs his clinic. On Harley Street in London, it's acclaimed internationally, and he specializes in aesthetic medicine and anti-aging treatments. So as if this weren't enough, seriously, in 2018, David founded, launched rather, Dr. David Jack Skincare, based on demand from clients, effectively, and along the way has um, launched a number of other exciting businesses and ventures in the health and wellness space. Uh, We will be coming back to all of that. In the program today. So in summary, having known David for a number of years, I can testify that he is truly unstoppable and a serial entrepreneur in all the best ways. So David, we have a lot to cover. So we're just going to jump right in. I would love to talk to you about COVID year. We can't get away from it, but hopefully we're really looking forward as opposed to looking back. But what happened to our skin during this year? There's been a lot of coverage on Maskne, which you've seen as a condition with patients and clients, and something that you've been treating. Given that we've gone hyper local, we're not on planes and trains and tearing around at high speed. Has that been a good thing for our skin in general? Before we get onto Zoom and all the issues with that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I've seen a huge change in the way that people feel about their skin and and kind of see their skin as well. Before COVID, there was, I mean, there's a big focus on aesthetics and things now people are starting to think about the health of their skin a lot more because of partly because um, of what's been going on kind of health-wise generally people thinking about their health a lot more and thinking about wellness um, and that is reflected in the way that people feel about their skin now as well but I think that also the impact of the way that we're living our lives now is a a bit more mindful so that also is again reflected in in the way that we look after our skin and there's been so much information during this time available um i've i've been talking about things on my instagram and everything and many many other doctors have as well so this abundance of information about skin health now that i think people are paying a lot more attention to so In the last year, things have changed hugely in the skincare world.
0: And I guess people are at home and they've had more time to follow the podcast, follow follow people like you on Instagram, giving information, you know, accumulating that and distilling it for themselves and even just, you know, taking more time, I guess, for self-care and using different products. But in in relation to Zoom, you know, Zoom face has become a thing, right? And Zoom fatigue has become a thing. And um, I guess... There have to be consequences, be it medium or, sh- or long term. Even when a lot of people, a lot of us, are on screens a lot of the time. You know, staring at yourself as well, not just
1: <laughs> not yes, just looking yes. at
0: other people, right? Which is also very fatiguing. Looking at oneself. What What have you seen as the consequences? And clearly rays coming from screens, that type of thing. What do you see happening to even the structure or the texture of skin? Is it changing? Uh, Is it more damaged? Are there other consequences from constant screen sharing?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that, the aware, again, the, the awareness of the way that your skin looks has become a lot more apparent to people because they, most people, I would say, tend to look at themselves quite a bit on screen when they are doing conference calls and using Zoom. So they're more aware of things like sun damage, um, changes in the volume and um, the face and the, in the skin um, and fine lines and wrinkles and stuff that they maybe wouldn't have noticed before. I know. Um, so this is yeah yeah and particularly depending on the way that your that your screen is lit as well and the way that the camera is angled there is this phenomenon as you mentioned of zoom face where people tend to pay a lot of attention to the areas where volume loss is seen so the lower part of the face the jowls become much more obvious if you've got a particular angle to the screen and poor lighting from in front and also the the under eye area as well some dark circles and things are much more obvious, even if not so much in person, but on screen, um, these things are a lot more obvious. So this has been definitely things that I've heard people say to me, but I think that when it comes to the skin itself, it's physiology and things, there's a number of things uh, that have have potentially affected this spending time on screen, you're exposed to a lot of blue light. And particularly if you're on an older screen, there's increasing evidence to show that this can cause increased oxidation in the skin, which could relate to inflammation and then then skin damage. So, That's
0: terrifying. Yeah, Seriously, yeah. another thing that I have to worry yeah. about.
1: <laughs> and I think this is only really a factor if you're spending hours and hours on screen. I think short short amounts of time, it's not really going to affect things as much as, say, UV light from the sun. But kind of if you're spending 12 hours on screen, then it does potentially become a factor um, and it's worth thinking about. And there, there are more and more skincare products coming out that do have blue light filters in them, which may help reduce this oxidative stress on the skin.
0: Also, a lot of people are buying blue light glasses. I mean, I know my glasses now have a special blue light. Do you think that really works?
1: Yeah, I think it will work. Yeah, it'll filter out a, a, a good deal of blue light. Um, and also you can set, if you've got um, a, a kind of modern computer, then you you can set it so that it filters out a percentage of blue light as well, which will also help. And also, I think the, the, the fact that we've had to exercise outside um, as, as means that we, in our free time, we're maybe spending more time kind of with skin exposed to the sun. So potentially more UV damage. If you're sitting near a window as well, then, then you're getting UVA light. Which through. people
0: are, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. walked past a building um, not far from me, you know, near us in Kensington uh, during COVID. And literally, I could see everyone at their window. It was an apartment block. And everyone was beside the window. So I think we, we underestimate the impact even through glass,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. And
0: from a consumer perspective, David, what have you seen in terms of, we, you know, we're talking about perhaps people more at home, they've got more time to get better informed, more time perhaps to look after themselves and so forth, because it's not like anyone was really going out in the evenings. What have you seen in the consumer trends in terms of perhaps people buying certain types of product or, or other things to help them look after their skin?
1: So I think that what, what I've certainly seen is that people are much more aware of the things that they're doing to their own skin and uh, because they, they weren't able to come into clinic they've been seeking sort of at-home treatments so things like at-home peels and um, masks these sort of things also home tools as well have become very popular. Um, I know from my own brand and my, my own kind of sales and um, we have treatment masks at home which are, are designed to kind of target particular skin issues. Like what? They're called face paints so they're color coded for different skin issues. So I have a yellow one for pigmentation which has been become our best seller of the whole right. brand and um, I have um, a blue one for dry skin and, and kind of aging signs with fine lines and wrinkles, rosacea and any, anything kind of inflammatory or irritated. And then I've got a red one, which is more more for acne. Um, so those actually have been selling in much greater volume than my kind of regular skincare products. Right. Um, and uh, they didn't really, they didn't get as much exposure before COVID and now they've just completely skyrocketed so it's really interesting to see that trend um as people weren't able to get into into salons and into into clinics that they, they've started to seek things that they do at home a lot more
0: and i know we've touched on this but do you think that people are being there's there's much greater specificity when people think about their requirements for skincare as opposed to just a moisturizer or something that's hydrating there's it's much more specific to them and, and, and a, a precise requirement
1: yeah, I think so. I think that leading on from the thing of, of people being more informed, um, they're more aware of how their skin behaves and, and what ingredients they should be looking for in things. So, so things have become a bit more sophisticated in the way that people think about skincare and the, the way that they think about the health of their skin as well.
0: Now that we're opening up again, have you seen greater increase in numbers because people can move around more freely or do you think people are going to try and do more at home given that they've adopted that habit? those that really look after this.
1: yeah I wasn't sure how to I would predict the change to be but what I've noticed in clinic is that people are desperate to get back to human interactions and I'm busier than I've ever been in the the entirety of the time that I've had my clinic
0: oh my gosh Um, that's saying something
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we're I think we're now fully booked for the next couple of months pretty much so it's, it's interesting to see that I that. I think there probably will still be some people that are staying away that are more apprehensive about getting back into, into kind of normality and seeing people again. But the vast majority of people i found are just desperate to do things and desperate to, to have interaction
0: with other people. and, and Just to get out, right? Yeah, I totally mean, just crazy. to get out the door. So David, coming on to sort of skin in general and just the big themes, you know, obviously the skincare market is... Uh, multi-billion dollar business and growing because it's part of the whole world of wellness which is exponentially growing and that will continue to be the case it feels and you're the expert it feels to me because i i love all these things to do with skin and beauty and all the rest of it as you know that, that there are still the big myths right like we still don't know today how to um unpack these big myths one of them and, and you've talked about it and, and written about it a lot is sunscreen and what people should be doing and not doing talk to us a little bit about that and, and other sort of theories that people have gotten wrong around looking after their skin yeah
1: sure. yeah i think that there's been a lot of misinformation in, in the whole skincare world over the last i don't know 30 years or 40 years since things have become a lot more commercial and The key things in in skin damage and skin aging are um, kind of oxidative stress and and also UV damage, so ultraviolet light from the sun. Um, And it's been well documented in all clinical studies and so much research that UV damage is the number one cause of aging, pigmentation changes, skin cancers. So protecting against this is is probably the, the key thing that you should be doing in your skincare routine.
0: But on that, David, for example, if someone goes into some, you know, either online or a big store, you know, and they go for sunscreen, there's so many versions, right? It's complex for a lot of people to to decipher the ingredients and to work out that, you know, you know the organic vegan ingredient versus the chemical versus the, like, in simple terms, what should people be looking for?
1: So people should be looking for two things, the, the SPF number, which uh, relates to the amount of UVB protection that a sunscreen offers and also the UVA cover. So the, for this, it will either say UVA in a circle on the packaging or have a PA rating or have a, um, have a star rating. And ideally the higher the stars, is, the, the better UVA cover this is. Most sunscreens nowadays should have some UVA cover and whether or not it's a chemical screen or which would otherwise be known as an organic screen or a mineral-based screen, which would otherwise be known as an inorganic screen, it doesn't really matter so much. There's one ingredient in uh, SPFs that has been associated with some kind of hormonal disruption in when it's used in very high quantities, um, which is called oxybenzone. So that actually been banned in the US, but it's definitely something to perhaps look out for if you are using a chemical sunscreen. Chemical sunscreens tend to be a, a lot more lightweight versus mineral screens, which are do actually contain chemicals. It's everything in, in life is a chemical. Right. And it's a bit of a, a kind of a misnomer to say that one thing is a chemical and one thing is not a chemical. But... The inorganic screens, they're made of uh, metal oxides, basically, and um, which have to, be, have to be used in a kind of thicker film, um, so are a bit heavier on the skin. They sometimes leave a whitish film. So if you find that that's what's happening with your sunscreen, then it's likely that it's, uh, it's a mineral, and it will stay on the back of the packet, either zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, usually.
0: Right. And what about the number? I mean, you know, you, obviously... There's, you can get factor 55 or something these days. I mean, it c- keeps going up, right? So is, what is the what is the, the magic number, assuming you tick the boxes on those other key ingredients? Yeah.
1: So I would say the, the British Association of Dermatology advises to use it above an SPF 30, which would filter, and the SPF number relates to UVB light, which is higher in the summer, lower in the winter time. UVA light is present throughout the year, penetrates through glass, through water and through clouds as well. So it's there year round. So with the number that's UVB that covered SPF 30 covers for about 97% of UVB rays.
0: So you're good on that, right? Yeah,
1: you're pretty good above 30. If you go up to 50, then you're getting to 98% cover above that. It's, it doesn't really increase that much. So magic number is about 30, ideally 50 um, many products, good products will have SPF uh, 50. But the main thing to look for when it comes to kind of longer term aging is that it covers against UVA, which, as I said, is there all the time.
0: So David, on aging and anti-aging, you know, fill us in because there, there, it seems to me, and again, I'm passionate about this industry and passionate about health and wellness because Health is wealth, as we know, but, but obviously I'm not an expert and I sit on the periphery. So my observation is that um, there is a, a movement, you know, hinterland coming through that are a bit anti the lexicon, anti-aging, that it doesn't make sense. Give us your take on that. And, and, and what does it really mean? And what, what can we do uh, to, you know, reduce the signs and so forth? What else should we be doing?
1: Yeah, so I think that, there, that I definitely agree. There is, I mean, there, there's this growing kind of negativity around saying things are anti-aging. And what we probably should be thinking about more is just our skin health and looking good for our age. Um, but there's still this whole field of things of, of kind of anti-aging treatments and anti-aging skincare that is still there. And it's still a very large part of the industry. But I think that when it comes to our own skin aging and skin health there's definitely things that we should consider firstly like our general health there's so many conditions internal conditions that affect the skin um and it just kind of shows the relationship between our internal internal health and our skin health totally totally. thinking about the way that we treat our bodies generally with um with our diet with supplements and also things like alcohol and smoking and things are really important when it comes to skin health and 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 anti-aging and then also what we're using on our skin as well um, is always the the starting point for any kind of anti-aging treatment or a sort of skin health routine Um, and as i said the major thing is is using an spf the next thing that we need to think about is reversing some of the oxidative damage that happens to our skin and through uv damage through kind of uh, pollution all of these these sort of things are coming how do we
0: do that how can we reverse that
1: so, so that that's using antioxidants, so things like vitamin C, glutathione, retinoids, um, which are vitamin A derived things that are in skincare and using that in combination with protecting the skin with UV uh, filters. Um, those are kind of the, the two main topical things that we need to consider and there's more and more evidence to kind of suggest that uh, we're kind of perhaps using too much in the way of skincare and that we should kind of whittle things down to the like the bare essentials um and these these two things would would fit into that category
0: so to that david tell me tell everyone about your line which is utterly beautiful right from the look to what's in the bottles I and mean, it's really beautiful and and you spend a lot of time curating this range and it really grew out of a demand from your clients tell us about the genesis of the range and what you've looked to achieve via it.
1: Sure. So my background, um, as you said earlier, is, is was in plastic surgery and the NHS. I did a lot of burn surgery. And during my time there, I was really interested in how people's healing time was improved by good nutrition um, and also simplicity of treatments as well. And I, when I started my clinic, I noticed I was getting a lot of people saying that they Quite confused by skincare routines that they were being marketed to, to a lot and having to buy lots of products and they weren't sure what was working what wasn't So I decided to create my line to kind of simplify things into these bare essentials that that everybody's skin would benefit from that wouldn't cause too much disruption to the the skin barrier and would also provide that support that the skin needs and protection against UV. So I started off with basically three products. So um, an antioxidant serum for the morning an SPF 50 moisturizer for the daytime called All Day Long, and then a retinoid night cream with hyaluronic acid and um, and some antioxidants as well, just to kind of support your skin overnight because the skin is kind of reproducing itself at a faster rate overnight. Um, so it's an important time to provide it with just that extra bit of support as well.
0: So David, you created these three key products And tell us how that has been going. What has been the experience with your clients? What was your experience actually creating this line?
1: Uh, Do you mean from a a kind of manufacturing point of view? or or... The whole sort of
0: ecosystem from from going, I'm going to do this. You know, the the challenge is to actually get it to market. And I mean, obviously the response has been, you know, incredible and continues to grow internationally. Just to be interesting to hear a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey there. Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. I should also mention it just about the supplements as well, because that, that absolutely. was um, absolutely yeah, just so delicious too. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> <laughs> consumer here. So so yeah, so I created these three core products and then I also decided because of my experience in in plastics and burn surgery that I really wanted to do something that would address the skin from inside out. So launching with those three core products, I also launched six supplements as well. So supplements that boost the skin from inside with a blend of things like antioxidants, uh, all of the building blocks that your skin needs to repair itself. And those have been extremely popular as well. Also supplements to kind of help support sleep and some of the other functions that you might not relate to the skin, but which are really important as well. So I wanted to have this very kind of holistic take on, on skin health with the brand. So I kind of I created it. It took about three years to really kind of get the formulations right and, and also kind of decide which products I was going to launch with. Um, I started off with a very small launch just to to really my patience and through my own website. And then very quickly, because I have had quite a lot of good contacts and things, I managed to get good press right from the, the beginning. And then I launched the products with uh, Space NK, which is a big retailer in the UK, as you know, Dee.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah very good client uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so that that was really a good exposure um being with uh, them and they've they've kind of supported me as as the brand grows and as I've launched a, a few new products yeah in terms of marketing and things um it was very kind of organic at first um i have had had quite good press as i mentioned uh, right from the outset and that is uh, that's continued actually to now over the last two years since we I uh, launched the the brand and there, there have been challenges as well Um, i didn't do much in the way of digital marketing to begin with and we're just starting to explore that now mm-hmm. i i found that most of the, the sales were kind of coming through my clinic and through my own website initially. Um, Space NK gave us a good, really good boost in terms of awareness, which did to also kind of drive some sales through my own website. And then um, and it was only in the last, probably in the last year since since we began lockdown that I started doing any digital marketing. Um, and I've, I've taken on a, a digital marketing company who has helped, who have helped me with that. So we're doing a bit of paid social, and um, I've been growing my organic uh, social um, quite a bit as well. So that's been a really good channel for me. And we're trying to keep things very educa- educational. Um, it's mostly me talking about things. So hopefully, my voice isn't, isn't too boring when it comes to talking about <laughs> It's not, about it's again, wonderful. It's so good. And <laughs> um, like I try to keep things as simple as, as, as possible and uh, as straightforward because these things should be. And yes, yeah, so we're just slowly growing. And um, I've reformulated some of the original products because it was it must be about three to four years since these were originally formulated. And the market has changed as well. So we were talking about blue light earlier on. And um, I'm adding some blue light filters to my day moisturizer all day long updating some of the ingredients that are in there for more modern ingredients so and um, i'm going to relaunch everything in june this year june or july hopefully fantastic
0: it's very exciting
1: yeah it's, it's slowly growing starting to see it. we've got our, the uk is probably our biggest market followed by the us interestingly um, we get, we've get we got a lot of clients in the US um, and I've not necessarily done any paid so, uh, social over there, but uh, just through organic social, I've, I've kind of uh, seemed to have built up a bit of an American fan base, which is really nice.
0: Well, that's a huge market, right?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. So um, and it will hopefully be our second kind of key market to launch in um next year.
0: So on that, David, you know, you have really... Become um, one of the names in you know health entrepreneurship here, and as we all know, there's a big difference between wanting to start a business or liking the idea of being a founder or an entrepreneur and actually taking the leap. And a lot of people find making that step very difficult, if not impossible, because they're not quite sure which way to go or how to go about it. They're overcome with fear of failure. And I always say, and I, I stand by this. I think most people's biggest issues themselves. They get in their own way. If they could get out of their own way. They probably jump ahead. What happened in your life for you to decide to make this leap and to make this change?
1: So I've always been a person who has has wanted to push myself. I've um, I've has never come from kind of parents or anything like that. My parents were always happy that I just did what made me happy. But I've always just been, I think wanted to do things as as kind of as well and as uh, and to kind of grow myself as as much as possible from an early age really and I always pushed myself at school I had uh, I was always had to be best at everything when I came to schoolwork and that kind of progressed through my my career in at university, and then getting to doing plastic surgery. It was it had to be the hardest thing that I had to to get into and and get the best job and things. So, um, so just it kind of followed on from that. I kind of when I was in the NHS, I was kind of a bit frustrated of being on a set career path that that couldn't grow any quicker. And I've always had this kind of almost like um. ADHD type of approach to things I just want to get there really quickly which has been a bit of a hindrance in certain things like when I was learning how to play the piano um, and <laughs> I, I just wanted to run before I could walk which meant that actually I didn't didn't get very far with that and um, but yeah I think there's always this this kind of desire to kind of push myself has been quite an intrinsic part of my own personality and I think I can see really why uh, taking the leap to kind of leave a career and kind of go down a more entrepreneurial route is a difficult one for many people because it is is leaving that kind of safety blanket behind. But I, I kind of feel that I have a bit of an addiction to that, that kind of... Um, almost that that fear of of doing something new i love the the challenge of trying something new and as you know Dee, that i've started a number of businesses that haven't been quite as successful and um but But at least
0: you've started them yeah yeah
1: and failed with them but uh I always I like to have a challenge and I like to push myself wherever possible. So yeah, I think it's it's a very individual thing. I think entrepreneurship is is suited to some people and other people, it just kind of runs makes them run for the hills, the idea of giving up this uh this kind of comfortable um sort of safety blanket as i said
0: totally and some people have have a mind uh, friends of mine who've been been and are very successful entrepreneurs some of them say anyone can be an entrepreneur whereas some people feel that it's just not for everybody and it is a a more limited group but but as we all know we need more entrepreneurs to build an economy to add to the baseline of this country any country frankly and and i know in your case you have a trait well many but you have a, a trait of successful entrepreneurs where you move very quickly and you, you see opportunity and you feel the timing and you leap into it. And also if something doesn't work, you move on quickly because that's as important, isn't it? You know, either pivoting or going, right, we'll close this one down and we'll move on to something else. So if you think, David, of all the things you've done so far in your, in your career and you have packed an awful lot in <laughs> thus far, what has the, been the biggest challenge to you?
1: One of the biggest challenges for me was actually when I was in the NHS because it's it's very competitive you're you're kind of judged by other people um and also that there's all of these gatekeepers there that there perhaps aren't in the entrepreneurial more entrepreneurial world you're more accountable to yourself as an entrepreneur i would say than in a kind of traditional career pathway so i find that very challenging i don't i i i quite a sensitive person so I, I hate being kind of feel this feeling that you're judged by other people so I always find that very stressful and I just didn't enjoy having to do interviews and be told what I was by other people and um, so I, I think very
0: set very much a set path it's,
1: yeah exactly and you've got to there's there's certain tick boxes that you have to achieve in order to to kind of get ahead and that I've I think probably that kind of lack of creativity in the way that you're judged was something that I really didn't like in kind of traditional medicine and uh, sort of hospital medicine and, and that career pathway. So I'd say that's a, one of the big challenges. The other thing is just kind of marketing and uh, challenges of marketing a skincare product in a very busy market.
0: How do you do that?
1: So for me, I would I wouldn't say that I've quite got it there yet by by any means. There's still a lot a long way to go for me and my brand, um, and there has been lots of ups and downs and things. I find that there, there's a lot of nights that I kind of wake up panicking about um, spending all this money on things that and it doesn't work, and then um, and then yeah, just uh, trying other things. And oh, what about TikTok? What about these sort of things? And that is a definitely a challenge mentally as well to to get through, but I think that yeah, marketing is definitely a, a challenging thing. Not being from that background, um, I didn't even know about digital marketing until last year, so it was quite naive of me really to start a brand without even giving that consideration. Uh, yeah, I think now you're all over it, yeah, so it's good. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think that's been challenged. Uh, formulating products is, is challenging as well. It's a very long process, very frustrating. And I can see how a lot of people um, would give up after a couple of months of things not going well with that. And you've got to just keep going, keep playing through to get, get things right. Um, particularly when it comes to creating SPF, actually. It's just, uh, they're, they're very difficult to formulate, particularly if you want it to be a product that does multiple things. So it's fine if it's just a plain SPF, but if it's a moisturizer with, sort of serum type qualities with lots of actives and things is is almost impossible it seems to, to formulate. So so that's been challenging. Actually we had planned to sort of in the the plan of the brand had planned to launch um the new formulations a year past in November, but both the combination of me being very picky about formulations and also all of the the kind of testing and stability and everything. It's taken a good bit longer. So Well, you're
0: there though. And also this year, it's probably been even more complex with, you know, people not being available and so forth. So tell me, what are you passionate about today? And what are you excited about, you know, looking out to the future? Because I know there's some other very exciting things going on in the Dr. David Jack pipeline, including a book. I mean, seriously, where do you find the time? Um, Tell us a little bit about the passions, things you're excited about, and and maybe a little bit about the book, if, if you're able.
1: Sure so I have to say I'm the probably my biggest passion at the moment is growing my skincare brand it's it's kind of like my baby that I'm um is kind of the offspring of my my clinic which is has been great over the last uh, six or seven years uh, but the skincare brand I'm very excited about Um, I think it's something that's fairly unique and um, I've put my heart and soul into it so it really is is my passion and I'm extremely excited about the the new products launching I've got other products in the pipeline as well and also just hopefully making an impact in, on people's minds and the way that they think about their skin and the way that they think about their the health of their skin in a more holistic way which is what I've, i'm trying to do with this brand really and i'm really excited about hopefully launching in the states um i love being in the u.s um I I love traveling there. So I think that that will be a a very exciting thing uh, to do for me. And then, um, yeah, I'm excited. I've also written this book, which is um, with... uh, us
0: about the book.
1: Yeah. So I I wrote this um, with uh, Jeremy Langmead, who is uh, the ex-editor-in-chief at uh, Times Lux and also Mr. Porter. Um, He has been sort of in the skincare world for many years as well and he's an amazing writer um, and I really jumped at the opportunity to do a project with him so it was well before lockdown that he approached me and and he was like he would like to write a book with me my part is more kind of technical about treatments and things whereas his part is more of a sort of autobiography type thing um, so it's a really nice and funny read um and then there's also the bit at the back which is written by me which is a wee bit more kind of um more about treatment scientific and specific things that you might want to uh, do
0: what is the name of the book do- so
1: it's called Vainglorious. um and it's wonderful
0: title <laughs> yeah
1: so it's, it's designed primarily for men uh, who are starting to think about the way that they're aging and uh, maybe thinking about some treatments and things and it's it's a very kind of honest review of things.
0: Well, I can't wait to read it. So David, I could talk to you all day, but we need to wrap up. And um, I always ask my my guests a couple of questions before we sign off. Um, so for you, if you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing, do you think? I have an idea, but I want I want to hear from you.
1: Yeah. So I've always always had a, a real passion for architecture and design, um, and I, if I hadn't gone into medicine, I probably would have done architecture. Um, I love buildings and I love interiors. I'm actually doing an interior design degree at the moment. Uh, just. I know
0: you are you crazy person. I mean, how do you fit that in? <laughs>
1: um, I have no idea, but yeah, mostly my my Sundays are are spent on AutoCAD. So yeah, I'd say that probably if I wasn't doing that, I'd do something more in the, in the design space. Uh, but I think I still would want to do something entrepreneurial as I've kind of discovered that that, that is definitely a, a real passion of mine.
0: Well, you know, I look forward to that some years hence. I'm sure you could integrate that part of your brilliance and your learning into what you're doing today. So final question, David, um, who or what has been your biggest inspiration in life?
1: I would say I, I think there's a a number of people that have been inspirations in my life. Um, definitely, my, my my parents have been a, a big inspiration. There, they're very the kind of the kindest people that I know, and uh, they always have been kind of really there for me and and passionate about what I'm doing and supportive. And ins- inspirations, uh, there's one or two people who are are really. In entrepreneurs who have grown businesses from from nothing to be worldwide successes and um, one of whom is Natalie Massinet who started net and um, she's definitely a, a big inspiration of mine it grew something from a kitchen table to a billion multi-billion right. dollar Incredible. business and um, there's a there's a few others in the skincare world as well um, people like actually another another doctor Barbara Sturm who um, has also a skincare brand um, I've watched her over the last few years grow something um, from a similar sort of brand to mine to something that is world famous and um, yeah there, she definitely has her critics but I, I think I'm so inspired by what she's done as well Um it's
0: a huge achievement right? yeah
1: totally totally
0: and different people at different stages can inspire us, right? Yeah. And David, you know, I have to say you are a huge inspiration. You're one of the, the nicest, loveliest people I know personally. You know, you you always make time uh, for all of us. You are an inspiration in the speed at which you operate and your energy level and the good vibes that you put out. So I just wanted to share that on this. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's been brilliant to yeah. have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to the next chapter, including the chapters of the book, right? I'm looking forward to getting that soon too. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Dee. Lovely to speak to you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Double Espresso with Dee with me, Dee Sterling. If you enjoyed it, I'd love you to review and subscribe to the podcast so we can share these amazing stories with others. I'd also love to connect with you. So feel free to contact me via Instagram DM at D Double Espresso. Until the next time. Au revoir.